question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Good day to everyone out there. I hope you had a, a nice holiday weekend for those who had one. Now it's to back to work. My topic today is going to be religion and science. And there's a popular misconception abroad that religion and science are incompatible. And since science has demonstrated it can change our physical lives for the better, it must be superior. It's my contention that this is too simplistic and overlooks some important facts. First, they both are the products of the human tendency to dislike various mysteries encountered in life. For science, the mysteries are fundamentally riddles. Given enough time, effort, and resources, things that seem as opaque as cancer can eventually be figured out, at least in principle. This requires questions like, why does this happen the way it does? How does it happen, and what are we dealing with? However, we have come to recognize that there are questions that cannot, in principle, be resolved satisfactorily. These are the big why questions, such as why something in the first place rather than nothing? What is the meaning of life? It is human reason recognizing its own limits, that there are some questions beyond our ability to pin down. This is the realm of religion, questions dealing with meaning and values that deal with the limits to be placed on human behavior. Just because I can kill you does not mean I should. This does not mean that these two types of inquiry are separable into independent realms. They both impinge on each other. Once one discovers atomic energy, what do I do with that knowledge? Do I use it for destructive or constructive purposes? Further, who is to determine what is destructive and constructive? Hitler thought it was constructive to rid the world of Jews. There's another important connection between religion and science that is overlooked, a historical one. There's no question that modern science, as we know it, was born in a Christian and more specifically Catholic milieu. Its roots lie in medieval Europe. Let's take a look at the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. God made the two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser one to govern the night. And he made the stars. That may seem to us to be a matter of fact and no big deal. But in the ancient world, it was revolutionary. Heavenly bodies, because they were beyond reach, were commonly conceived to be gods, to be worshipped. Genesis, however, makes it crystal clear that they are part of creation. This means that they are subject to investigation, just like any other part of creation. Further, they are finite, just as we are, which means they are not eternal. The very idea of creation itself in Genesis connotes bringing order out of chaos. To elaborate on this idea, we find in the Book of Wisdom, these words, 
you, meaning God, have disposed all things by measure and number and weight. In other words, the created universe is rational and orderly and predictable. This is one of the fundamental requirements for the development of science as we know it. The animism that characterized ancient cultures, which viewed the divine as imminent and created things, hindered the growth of science by making the idea of constant natural laws foreign. Even the great Aristotle described the circular motion of celestial bodies in terms of their affection for such patterns. It was the scholastics of the high Middle Ages, not the Greeks, who finally carried out the depersonalization of nature. Even the Muslim scholars rejected any conception of the universe that involved consistent physical laws because they would restrict the autonomy of Allah. Yes, Catholicism speaks of miracles, but the very idea suggests something unusual against the backdrop of an orderly natural world. Even the great Thomas Aquinas suggested that it is by means of experience that we come to know the nature of the universe that God chose to create. And we come, come, come to know it because it is rational and predictable. Finally, it is a 19th century German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, who certainly was no friend of Christianity, who makes a salient observation at this point. He wrote, Strictly speaking, there is no such thing as science without any presuppositions. A philosophy of faith must always be there. First, so that science can acquire from it a direction, a meaning, a limit, a method, a right to exist. It is still a metaphysical faith that underlies our faith in science. Now, I hope you can mind, don't mind if I take a uh, brief look at some of the historical developments here. Thierry of Chartres, Cathedral of Chartres in France, was chancellor of the school there in the 1140s. He rejected the notions that celestial bodies might be divine, but that the universe itself was a large organism, that the heavenly bodies were composed of imperishable matter, not subject to earthly laws. Roger Bacon was a Franciscan who taught at Oxford in the 1200s. He was admired for his work in mathematics and optics, and is considered a forerunner of the modern scientific method. He wrote, Without experiment, nothing can be adequately known. An argument proves theoretically, but does not give the certitude, the certitude necessary to remove all doubt. Nor will the mind repose in the clear view of truth unless it is by way of experiment. End quote. Albert the Great, who lived from 1200 to 1280, was a Dominican priest who was made a bishop. Known as the most famous procurers of modern science, precursors of modern science in the high Middle Ages, he was named the patron saint of all who cultivate the natural sciences. He was careful to note that the importance of direct observations in the acquisition of knowledge about the physical world. Robert Grosseteste was a chancellor of Oxford who became Bishop Lincoln. 
He was the first man ever to write down a complete set of steps for performing a scientific experiment. Then there was Nicholas Steno, who lived from 1638 to 1686. He was a Lutheran convert who became a Catholic priest. He set down most of the principles of modern geology. Specifically, he was convinced that rocks, fossils, and geological strata told a story about the history of the Earth. From the present world, one may deduce vanished worlds, something which we are still doing. <clears throat> the greatest bulk of Catholic priests interested in the sciences were the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus founded in the 16th century by Ignatius Loyola. Some 35 craters on the moon are named for Jesuit scientists and mathematicians. And they were the first to introduce Western science into such far off places as China and India. Finally, it was a Benedictine abbot in Bavaria who experimenting with plants in his greenhouse came up with the idea of genes. So we can see from this brief sketch that the, the church was not only a uh, unfriendly to science, it fostered it and made the whole idea very acceptable. Of course, we can talk about the white elephant in the room, Galileo, who lived from 1564 to 1642. Now, initially, Galileo and his work were welcomed and celebrated by prominent churchmen. 1612, he published his letters on the sunspots, advocating the theory of Copernicus that put the sun at the center of our solar system rather than Earth. It was yet to be proven, but it did provide a theoretical model that accounted for celestial phenomena more reliably than any other system. Galileo, however, asserted that it was literally true without providing adequate evidence to support his claim. Even so, he insisted that it was literally true and refused to accept a compromise. Jesuit astronomers confirmed Galileo's discoveries, but before waiting for more proof that it was just not just a theory. Cardinal Robert Bellarmine even indicated a willingness to reassess certain passages of scripture that seemed to support the old view. Thomas Aquinas had issued a caution about holding on to a particular interpretation of scripture after serious grounds for believing it might not be the correct one had emerged. Albert the Great held a similar view. Now, despite such friendly responses from churchmen, Galileo adamantly refused to back down. So he was declared to be suspect of heresy in 1633. Notice the word there, suspect. He was not declared a heretic. He said he would just be suspicion. And spent the last eight years of his life under house arrest. It was a tragedy of epic proportions which proved to be an embarrassment to the church and fostered myths that the church was and is hostile to science. It is an exception to the rule from what we've seen about the reaction between church and science. There's more of that of 
friendship than that of uh, antagonists. Break. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Well, we're back again. I'd like to invite anyone who wishes to um, call or send an email uh, so that we can discuss the subject. Um, certainly, I think the Catholic Church has been far more receptive to the idea of science. For example, uh, in, in Italy, Many of the cathedrals that were built in the uh, early Renaissance had built into them um, celestial observatories, which went out of use when the the science of development, um, more accurate observation, made them obsolete. But the point is that ready to go to that kind of expense to make it possible to study the heavens. And I suppose that was the most um, entertaining thing to deal with at the time. Um, But certainly, 
Um, John Paul II made a formal apology about Galileo, but um, it was the Protestants at the time who were most vehement about opposing Galileo because they were insisting that scripture uh, could not be changed, it had to be a, a literal interpretation. But unfortunately that led to all kinds of interpretations. Um, I was once questioned about how I could accept papal infallibility. I said, well, to begin with, the Pope is very restricted into what kind of pronouncements he can make. Uh, it has to be consistent with church t tradition teaching, um, and it has to be uh, consistent with the bishops of the time. The magisterium is the teaching authority of the church, and it consists of uh, currently all the existing bishops around the world. So, for example, when um, Pius IX wanted to proclaim the Immaculate Conception, he wrote to all the bishops of the world and said, um, is this what you believe? And while there was no um, percentage figure set on it, it had to come back showing a consensus. Catholic Church always works on consensus. And not just consistence with what we believe now, but a consistence with what's gone before. Um, G.K. Chesterton, as an English writer, put it this way, tradition with a capital T, as opposed to human traditions. And tradition with a capital T is the democracy of the dead. That the ordinary people in the pew who have gone before us have a say-so in all of this, what the church teaches. And it's not something that we can mess with. Um, to be a consensus with the magisterium, those who are still living, and with those who have gone before. So in the case of uh, Immaculate Conception, it took uh, 1854 years before the church simply declared this is what we believed all along. Now the Pope cannot make up truths out of whole cloth. He's just a mouthpiece, a spokesman for the church, uh, militant and triumphant. And um, they were careful not to declare Galileo a heretic. They just were trying to uh, get him to be um, more sensible about uh, it being an unproven hypothesis at the time. So it wasn't like um, it was something that um, the Pope was a, was a bad old disciplinarian. Pope was very, very, very much in favor of Galileo and um, considered him a friend. 
So, um, the the whole infallibility idea is simply that the Pope is nothing more than a spokesman for the Church as a whole, past and present. And whereas um, in principle, uh, the Protestant principle of everybody can make his own interpretation of Scripture, um, that makes everyone their own Pope uh, to uh, speak for what God was trying to do in these words that we call Scripture. And it was the Protestants at the time of Galileo who were most violently objecting to uh, his um, agreement with Copernicus. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. The White House Doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You're tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to DefendingCatholicFaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. I'd like to elaborate on something that I started out with. And that is the difference between mystery with a capital M and mystery with a small m. Mystery with a capital M is the 
human mind recognizing that in principle is something it's dealing with something that it cannot ever completely explain or encompass. Uh, I talked last time about science dealing with mysteries with a small m, uh, something that are in principle solvable if you have enough time and enough resources to um, figure it out, however difficult it may be. But um, answering the big why questions, why something in the first place rather than nothing, is not something that science can really deal with. I think it explains why so many different religions have come up with very different um, attempts to answer these questions. And with these questions, the capital M, it comes down to whether or not uh, a particular answer is more adequate than that provided by other attempts at answering it. We can see what we cannot grasp. And that's very frustrating to the human mind. It is eternally um, curious. But all human religions have come up with some kind of an answer, and depending upon um, the culture in which they resided. But it's interesting that Christianity changed the culture, changed the nature of the way we see things and do things by its development of the scientific approach to uh, the material world. It's when we get away from the material world, well, even in the material world, um, the idea of mystery with a capital M has re, re, uh, been rediscovered on the cutting edge of science. Um, for example, Einstein, his relativity theory, um, in effect, modified the whole idea of rigid laws of nature. And nowadays, scientists do not speak in terms of rigid laws of nature. They speak in terms of probabilities. It may be highly probable that something would, would occur that way. It may be highly improbable. But that opens the door for novelty. Uh, and science is constantly developed by new approaches to things, a whole new idea. Um, and so nowadays, the, the Darwinists do not speak in terms of evolution as being an inevitable product of certain laws. Uh, they, they make room for novelty. So this, things are possible, which are highly improbable, 
but no one's going to say that it's impossible. And I think that leaves a door open for, for novelty, uh, the possibility of things changing, at least our understanding of changing. Um, so that a ministry, uh, as I mentioned last time, um, my professor, I was a math major in college, his professor spent the entire period filling up three blackboards with the proof that one plus zero equals one. And we finished, he turned around and said, it is, this is a unique case, zero is unlike any other number. It represents the empty set. Um, and it is mathematically impossible to prove one plus one equals two. So that we um, we recognize that something, something like mathematics, which is considered to be the most definitive and certain of the sciences, um, recognizing its own limits, that uh, it's, it's the known unknown or put it that way. Um, and so I think um, the development of revelation over uh, quite a few centuries um, shows how religious thinking can evolve too. Um, and um, it's not entirely hard and fixed ideas because we're dealing with something which fundamentally uh, we can't figure out. Um, what is infinity? Um, everyone would agree God is infinite. But in infinity can only be defined by what it's not. It's not finite. Uh, which is a sort of a negative um, approach to things, which the Eastern Orthodox capitalized on, and they're well known for their theologies being described as the via negativa, the negative way. Rather than saying what God is, we say what God isn't, because he isn't like us in many ways. Um and that puts a note of humility into the whole situation. Uh, we're trying to wrestle with something that eludes our finite categories. Our language is um, limited to dealing with the finite world. We use words like horizon, which originally was something re referred to uh, something that you could see from a ship. But nowadays we use it as for the, the extent of our vision. Um, which is evolvable itself. Certain things that were beyond the horizon of our knowledge now are now within it. 
But uh, to say that there is something infinite is something we've never experienced. Uh, take geometry, for example. The Egyptians developed it as a practical thing to help, help them build their pyramids. It was the Greeks who came along and picked up what they had done and abstracted from it. So that, uh, if you remember your high school geometry, a point is defined as something without dimension. Now, how we can't conceive of anything without dimension. Our language isn't geared to it. Um, a line is something that extends infinitely in, all, in both directions. It's only a line segment, which is a restricted uh, with limited with ends that we use to make proofs in geometry. But even at that, um, any given triangle that we look at can only be um, abstracted from a literal triangle does not exist in nature. It's a, it's a mental creation, a concept, which is at the same time both amazing things the human mind can do, and at the same time it's um, it brings about the frustration of um, still force trying to force infinite into our finite categories. Human language is geared to that. And I think it's poetry that is one, one attempt at getting beyond uh, the finite reference of, of words to make them stretch to mean something that you're trying to get at can't be discerned in the visible world. Take something like love. Um, you can't see love, you can't measure it. And people um, can only talk about what they observe. So and so acts as if they are in love. But all we see is the surface um, behavior. We don't know what's going on in their mind. And uh, to use an old expression, um, might be a gold digger, male or female, who's just trying to um, convince the other person they're in love with them because all they're after is the money or maybe just being married to some powerful person. Um, love is elusive, but for all that, we would insist that it's quite real. It's a force to be reckoned with. And it's what makes the world go around, in fact, the human world anyway. Um, but we can become attached not just to other human beings, but also 
to creatures like pets. Some people can pick out some pretty strange creatures to consider a pet. Um, but we have a need for this thing we call love. And people who feel that they are unlovable are the kinds that jump off bridges. It's the most fundamental thing we will ever deal with about our nature. And yet it's almost impossible to predict where it's going to take us. Um, love makes us do things we never did before. And it's, it's a very powerful force within our human nature. But still, it's not something that you can pin down. Um, So-and-so acts like they're in love. And most of the time we can, uh, they, are, they themselves believe it. But after several years of marriage, discover that that wasn't love after all, it was just lust. So, we're all on skating on thin ice, as it were, when it comes to the most fundamental questions of, particularly questions of value. Um, who is going to set the, the boundaries for what is acceptable and what isn't? And we all have to have, just as in science, some fundamental presuppositions to work with to guide us to try and make uh, workable solutions, even if they're not proven. So the known unknown, the human mind recognizing its boundaries, its limits, and that is something that um, science has rediscovered. Um, the Heisenberg indeterminacy principle, which asserts that we cannot know the exact location or even direction of a, an electron. Now, the most powerful microscopes we have is the electron microscope. And it uses electrons to look at other things. But how can an electron look at itself? I'll give back back to the uh, powers that be at the other end of this line. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-5433. 
3977. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Tune into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. To continue with the idea of the known unknown. Another example would be beauty. Now, it's often said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, meaning that we can't always agree on something as being beautiful. Uh, What one person thinks is beautiful, another person may think is junk. That's particularly true in the visual arts, but also in music. Um, There's some things that majority of us agree upon that's beautiful, a sunset perhaps, um, but um, that's just something one of the few things we can agree upon uh, whether or not it's beautiful is uh, something for each of us to, to work out for ourselves um, that's where we get into this thing of relativism, which I'm going to talk about next week. Um, it's for each person to figure out for themselves what is truth in the moral world. Um, I'll be discussing the pros and cons of all that, but it's, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that when we're dealing with things like values, that's much more intangible, uh, less concrete than even dealing with um, something as seemingly clear-cut as geometry. But modern math has even made that confusing because um, geometry is no longer confined confined, confined to three dimensions. Uh, you can have an infinite number of dimensions in working in mathematics. Um, so, it's it's something that we can talk about, but we can't always be certain about. And I'm afraid that's inevitable because of our the limitations of our own uh, human brain power. Um, in order to deal with something, we have to kind of reduce it to terms that we can deal with. 
so that a, a line segment, we, we can draw it on a piece of paper. But that's not the definition of a line segment. It's without dimension. Um, so science gets us into this area of what's acceptable. Um, I remember in a class one time I was teaching that we were discussing a certain development in biology which um, had become very controversial as to whether it should be permitted or not. And now I can't even remember what we were discussing, but uh, the thing I do remember is that um, one of the students said, if we can do it, we should do it. And right there, he's making a value judgment. If we can do it, we should do it. And as I pointed out uh, today, just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. It's possible to kill people. But um, that's one of the reasons why war is so offensive, I think. Um, it, it cheapens human life. There's something about it that goes against our very nature. And yet there are those who learn to take great delight in it. Um, it's, it's something that um, I don't think we're condemned to um, just beauty being in the eye of the beholder. There are certain norms in which something is beautiful, something isn't. I'm not just talking about the visual arts here. I'm talking about um, character. There's a certain beauty of character that, that attract us to certain people, that we find them fascinating. And <clears throat> Um, we look more favorably upon a person who has what we consider a beautiful character than one that has a very mean, ugly character. And whichever way we turn, we're going to find things that we can recognize just enough to know that what we don't know and what we can't know, never will know. Um, electrons, for example, do strange things. They don't orbit like planets around the sun. They can disappear on one side of the atom and reappear on the other side of the atom. So there, there's, we talk of probabilities of where the electron will be in a given configuration. Um, so the very foundation of the physical world now seems to be less than the predictable thing that we thought it was. There's always room for something to be different. And that's why science has to 
readjust its uh, theories from time to time and realize that the old theory didn't work for certain reasons. And eventually they'll find the new um, framework for doing science has its own limitations. So, um, it's frustrating, and yet at the same time, what would we do without things like beauty, things like truth? Um, we depend upon them to make our lives for better or for worse. And that's a part of the, um, I think science is beginning to learn its own, um, achieve its own degree of humility about what it can do and where it can go. Um, and so now I've come to my limits. Um, next week I'll be talking about um, relativism and truth. And we can de delve into that um, much more deeply. Uh, it's, it's, it's Even relativism has its assumptions. It's unproven assumptions, which um, we, if we disagree with those assumptions, we uh, can disagree with relativism. And that's... Good for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.